Well, if you are standing after that hymn, let me encourage you to have a seat. And uh, our, uh, if you can take out your Bibles, our scripture reading for this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Our, our sermon text will be uh, verses 12 and 13, but I'm going to read, start from the beginning of the paragraph. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Before we read that together, let's pray one more time. Oh, our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your truth that you speak to us, that we can receive the food of your holy word as we just prayed, uh, that you shape and fashion us into your likeness as you take your truth and plant it deep in our hearts. We pray, Father, that you would do that this morning, that as we come to your word, as we come to the book of Hebrews, as we listen to the message that it has for us this morning, we pray that you would use that message to shape us as your people and to mold us after the image of your son, Jesus. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would uh, do that by your spirit that you would work to your glory, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Well, some of you hearing me this morning may be wondering, why should I listen to another sermon? I mean, really, I've got better things to do right now. I could be sleeping right now, after all. How is this relevant, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic, and you want me to listen to sermons. Really, you might say, if the Bible has anything to say to me, I'll get to that later, after coronavirus, maybe when my kids are grown and out of the house. I understand that. We, We want to make good use of our time. Uh, Time is precious even now, maybe especially now in the midst of a pandemic. You want reasons to listen. And one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is the importance of listening to God's word. The book begins with God's word uh, spoken in the past by the prophets and in these last days by his son, Jesus. And Hebrews then exhorts us to pay attention to this message of Jesus and not harden our hearts, but believe. Because in believing, we share in the glory and honor of Christ and participate in His Sabbath rest. And yet Hebrews says, if we fail to listen, if we harden our hearts to the message, we will miss the celebration our hearts were made for. And that's a, that's a pretty big reason to listen. And if you'd like to know more about that, well, you can go listen to the last few sermons on Hebrews from our website. But this morning, in our text this morning, our writer gives us a different set of reasons. 
a different set of reasons why we must pay attention, a set of reasons that focus on the message itself. Why is it so special? What is so special about what we have heard that it demands our response? And this morning we're going to look at four things that God's Word does that call us to listen, to pay attention. And what we'll see is that we must pay attention because God's Word addresses us, undresses us, assesses us, and redresses us. Uh, you can find that outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. The, the bulletin is on the website if you haven't downloaded it yet. But we're going to look at those four things. God's Word addresses us. God's Word undresses us. God's Word assesses us. And God's Word redresses us. First, we must pay attention because God's Word addresses us. You know, many people come to Scripture and think, what does a book written 2,000 years ago have to do with me? Those people back then, we think, were religiously, morally, and socially backwards. Uh, where they were confused, we have, been in, uh, we have understanding. Where they were in the dark, we have been enlightened. Uh, where they were narrow-minded and bigoted, we are open-minded and tolerant. And such thoughts are understandable in our culture, but they fail to understand what God's Word is and how God addresses us today. And as a way of beginning to think about this, let me, let me uh, look at the question. Let's look at the question, what does Hebrews even mean by the phrase, the Word of God? Hebrews 4, 12 begins, for the Word of God. What does Hebrews mean by that phrase? That phrase could actually mean a number of things. I'll mention at least three of them. It could mean, in the broadest sense, God's self-expression. That is, His conveying His mind and His will. In one sense, this is the biggest category. And it's important to see that when God expresses Himself, it is Himself being expressed. You know, sometimes when we try to express ourselves, it comes out wrong. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the Jim Croce song, every time I tried to tell you, the words just came out wrong. But when God expresses himself, he, he doesn't fumble to find the words. And so God's expression of himself is himself. And this is why we read in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see, the word of God as John puts it, is God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the perfect expression of the Father, as it were. And it is this word of God who became incarnate in Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the as the incarnate word, God's word, continued to perfectly convey the Father because the Son is the image of the Father. But second, this phrase, the word of God, can be the spoken word. Uh, Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. See, when the prophets spoke, they spoke the word of God. Now, sometimes God spoke directly to his people, but that was very rare. More often than not, he spoke through people. The same was true uh, for the apostles in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Something similar is true of Christian leaders today whose words are faithful to God's message. In Hebrews 13, 17, we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And so when we hear this phrase, the word of God, that could mean God's self-expression from all eternity, the, the word incarnate in the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Or it could mean the word spoken through the prophets and the apostles. And finally, you have the word written or inscripturated, right? Uh, the word written down in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. You see, God's word is this perfect reflection of himself incarnate in Jesus. God's word is spoken by the prophets. God's word is written in scripture. And so the question becomes, uh, which of those does the writer of Hebrews mean here? And to understand that, we have to kind of trace back the argument in the text a little bit. Uh, verse 12 begins with the little word for. So what the writer says in verse 12 grounds what comes before it. And when you trace it back, this whole conversation begins uh, roughly in chapter 3, verse 7, which says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so you have the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the scriptures, exhorting us to listen to God's voice. And yet, what is the voice that we hear today? What, what is the word? What is the message to which we are to listen? Well, it's the message that Hebrews has contrasted in chapter 2, verse 2, with the message declared by angels, and contrasted in four, chapter 4, verse 2, with the message heard by Israel. It is God's speech, not in the many ways and various times of the prophets, Hebrews 1.1, but God's speech in these last days spoken by his son, Hebrews 1.2. In short, the word of God here is the message of the gospel. It is the expression of God's gracious character. It is the message of the incarnate Jesus. It is the word spoken by the apostles and then written down in the letters of the New Testament. And you see, whether we read that message or hear that message or someone speaks to us that message. The writer of Hebrews wants us to listen to that message, the message of the gospel, with faith, and so enter God's rest. It is this word that the writer of Hebrews wants us to pay attention to. Why? Because this message, he says, is living and active. Now, if you've ever read a newspaper from decades ago, uh, the first thing you might notice is that it mostly seems irrelevant. Uh, looking at an old newspaper, actually from 1904, I saw articles about uh, making paint out of milk and uh, methods for keeping grasshoppers from eating your crops and an article about the world's largest photograph at the time, which was roughly 40 feet by four. Now, none of those is likely relevant anymore, even if it might be interesting. I I'd like to think we have better paint than I can make with a gallon of milk. Uh, better methods for fighting off grasshoppers than using your clothesline. And there are larger photographs and, of course, in some place, larger televisions than ever could have been imagined in 1904. Those words spoke to those people back then, but they don't speak to us anymore. 
does the message of the gospel continue to speak? Yes, Hebrews says, because God's word is living and active. You know, when we think kind of sociologically, we think the Bible or the message of the gospel uh, is man's words in a particular culture relevant only to a particular time and place. But Hebrews is telling us that the words of the gospel are God's words, yes, to a particular people, but not limited by that people. Uh, To a particular culture, but not limited by that culture because God himself transcends all cultures. Because they are God's words, because this is God's message, God who is not bound by time, God who is not limited by culture, God who is forever present, God's word speaks today, not only to that culture, but to every culture. And hence, Hebrews' application of Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, the message of Psalm 95 is ever fresh. It was for David's generation and and Hebrews' generation and our generation because God's word is not like our words, but addresses every generation anew. And, you know, friends, there there are some uh, poets and writers whose words seem ever fresh, ever applicable. Now, if that can be true of human writers who were limited by time and space and then died and are no more, How much more is that true of the living God who has spoken to us a living word and sends his living spirit to apply that word to our hearts? God's word is not a dead letter. It is not inactive. It doesn't have a sell-by or expiration date. God is speaking and acting through his message contained in the scriptures every day, and he is addressing you. Whoever you are, wherever you be, God is addressing you and me perpetually through his word. And the first exhortation of his word is continually, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Rather, as God says in Isaiah, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, this is the first step of humility. This is the first step of the Christian life. Are you willing to open your heart to hear what God has to say to you today? And so first, God's word addresses us. It is living. It is active. It is addressing you and me with its message now, today. Are you listening? Second, God's word undresses us. Now, most people uh, don't like to be exposed. And I don't mean just physically, though that is true, but there are times, there are times when I feel naked, when my weaknesses are on view, when my limitations have become obvious, when my humanity kind of slips out, when I would rather keep it hidden. Uh, There are times when my sin pokes through. Oh, I can keep it hidden mostly, But then something happens and and my anger and insecurity bubble to the surface and I am seen for the weak and fearful and needy person that I really am. You see, we are very good at faking competence and faking confidence, at looking good and looking truthful and looking right. And some of that is okay, of course. I mean, you, you don't all need to know the depths of my sin. Some of you do because I need encouragement and accountability, but you don't all need to know. And so we don't go around with our mess just hanging out everywhere all the time. But the problem comes when we begin to believe our own spin. When I begin to think that I am as good as I think I look, 
or when I know the darkness of my heart, but I am unwilling to admit it to anyone, unwilling to expose it to the light. I can't handle the thought of of anyone knowing, of anyone finding out, and I can't handle the thought of being exposed. But someone does know. I stand exposed every day and I don't even realize it. Or maybe I I don't want to realize it. Maybe those moments where I am riddled with fear that someone might find out, that someone might figure out, that someone might out my sin. Maybe those are the moments when I get closest to honesty because I begin to admit to myself that, that the emperor has no clothes, as it were, and that I stand naked before the true king. Now, we're going to come back to the rest of verse 12 in just a minute, but look for a moment at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, again, we'll come back to the meat of verse 12, but verse 12 says that the word of God gets down deep into our souls. And then verse 13 says, In so doing... God exposes us. He strips us of all pretense. He sees down into our hearts. Now, the fact that God sees the heart is actually frequently repeated in Scripture because we are so apt to forget it. And one of the most well-known verses is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God knows. He he knows what is in the heart. Whatever secrets you may be keeping in the depths of your soul, God knows the heart. Now, you might wonder, well, how, how does God's word bring this about? I mean, this text is about the word of God. How does God's word, what does God's word have to deal with exposing my heart? God has immediate knowledge of all things. What does his word have to do with it? And in one sense, you could say nothing. God does have immediate knowledge of all things, and that includes the depths of your heart. But in another sense, it is His Word which exposes our hearts and so brings us to to know that He knows. Think about how that works. When When God expresses Himself, He speaks His mind, as it were. And as we see God's will and mind, we become aware of the norm or the standard for our own thoughts and intentions. James talks about God's word as a mirror which reveals to us who we really are. It's like like, uh, believing that you have a 10-foot carpet ready to put down in a 10-foot room until you measure them both with a ruler. And the ruler tells you that the carpet is 8 feet and the room is 12. And now you know that you, you don't have what it takes. How do you know that? Because you measured it by some external standard. The ruler was revelatory. It exposed the reality that was already there. The Word of God, by expressing His will, exposes our hearts. We use the measuring tape of God's Word on the room of our souls, and we realize that we fall short. But this really brings us to our next point. So we must pay attention because God's Word addresses us today as we hear His voice. And God's word undresses us. It exposes us to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And third, God's word assesses us. Now, we'd like to think that no one knows what is deep in the recesses of our soul. Uh, We'd also like to think that even if someone were to know, they would have no right to judge what is down there. 
And there is a sense in which that would be true with other people like ourselves. Verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is like a sword. Uh, Now, this is not a unique image uh, to this passage of Hebrews. In Ephesians, the word is the sword of the spirit used to defeat Satan in spiritual warfare. In Revelation, a sharp two-edged sword comes out of Jesus' mouth to strike down the unbelieving nations. And how is this sword used here in Hebrews chapter 4? God uses his word to pierce into the deepest recesses of our souls. Now, when Hebrews says that scripture pierces, pierces to the division of soul and spirit, most commentators seem to differ on just what the division of soul and spirit is. And yet, I think that is exactly the point. Scripture mostly uses these two words as synonyms. Soul and spirit are both used to refer to the inner, invisible person. And sometimes there is a shade of meaning uh, difference. Uh, they're, They're each coming at that from a different angle. But what does it mean to divide them? Well, you and I may not be able to do that with much accuracy, but God's word can. That's the point. Now, the other pair is a bit different, joints and marrow. Joints are kind of the the outermost edge of the bone where bone connects to bone. But marrow is the innermost part of the bone. And the point is that this two-edged sword can pierce beyond the obvious, deep into the hidden parts. The word can divide what we cannot divide and reach what we cannot reach. Uh, The word is, is like a surgeon's scalpel, right? Reaching the hidden places. Hence, its power to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hence, the word's power to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You and I uh, don't know what is in our own heart most of the time, much less someone else's. But God can get deep into our hearts. Now, really, we've we've already said when we looked at verse 13 that God's word exposes the deep things of the heart. But verse 12 uses the word discern or critique or even judge. You see, God not only knows, but judges the secret things. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, God's word not only addresses and undresses, but it also assesses. God's word not only speaks to us and exposes us, it also judges us. And Jesus is very clear about the role God's word has to judge. Jesus says in John 12, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You know, many people wonder, well, you know, how how good do I have to be after all? Or, Or how bad can I be before I get on God's bad side? Sometimes people seem to think that that hell is a special place reserved for Hitler and just a few other bad people. But if you want to know the standard by which God will judge all people on the last day, 
just look to God's word. God isn't trying to trick us, right? He, he doesn't keep his standard hidden. Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge you on the last day. Do you want to know God's standard? Just look to God's word. Look to God's law. Uh, do not murder. Do not commit sexual immorality. Do not steal. Look at the words of Jesus. You have heard it was said, do not murder. But I say, anyone who is angry with his brother is in danger of the fires of hell. You have heard that it was said, Jesus goes on, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says the great commandments are to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. He says we're to love one another as he loved us. And we are to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. Now, what this means, of course, as we, as we look at just this short list of commands that we find in Scripture is that God's Word judges us and it finds us guilty. I mean, which of us can live up to the standard set out in Scripture? Now, I, I know we, we would like to be unaccountable. We'd like to be autonomous, a law unto ourselves. We don't like the idea that there might be some standard of goodness out there to, we, to which we must conform that very discomfort that you might feel right now as you think about that accountability, that someone might have a right to make demands on your life, that very contempt at such an idea shows our hearts. And it shows our rejection of the one who made us and therefore has authority over us. We must pay attention because God's word addresses us today as you hear his voice. God's word undresses us. It exposes us to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so God's word also assesses us, showing where we fall short, revealing the rebellion deep in our souls. But finally, God's word also redresses us. You may be squirming in your seats a bit at this point. I, I hope you haven't shut off the live stream or slammed the laptop shut, right? You, you see, if God's word is addressing you this morning... If it is exposed what is deep in your heart, if you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting, as it were, you have a few options. You might just get angry and reject everything I've said. You might simply judge me as, as a narrow-minded bigot who likes to condemn others to make himself feel good. Of course, by doing so, is it perhaps true that you would be condemning me just to make yourself feel good? Maybe. You may decide to wallow in self-pity, right? Woe is me. Everybody always looks down on me. And now you're saying God does too. And then you live your life looking for sympathy from others as your only source of comfort. Or you may try to make up for all the wrong that you've done. Okay, I'm going to buckle down and try harder. If I can only read my Bible and pray more and be a better person, then surely God will accept me. Surely I will live up to what his standard is. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's actually another option that's better than all of those. You know, many uh, classic commentators on this text uh, say that Scripture is said to be uh, sharper than a two-edged sword for a specific reason. They say, right, as a, as a two-edged sword, God's Word has two sides, as it were. One that curses, but another that blesses. One that judges, and another that saves. One that warns, and another that promises. The law is God's word, but so is the gospel. And it may not exactly be what the writer of Hebrews had in mind when he talked about a two-edged sword, but the idea is certainly found in Hebrews, and it's found in the rest of Scripture. 
You see, the same Jesus who said in John 12, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, also said in John 6, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, the word of God slays us only that we might experience resurrection. Everywhere, God's word is said to be life-giving. John 6, 68, Simon Peter says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And both Peter and James say that the word causes us to be born again, that God's word is like a seed which brings about a kind of new birth in our hearts. And Paul confirms that this word is still at work in us who believe, transforming us and renewing us. See, God's word not only addresses us and undresses us and assesses us, but it also redresses us. Now, on the one hand, by that, I I mean it puts things right. That's what Hebrews has been talking about this whole time. If we hear the word of God and believe we are united to Christ and we share in his glory, and so we enter God's rest now in Christ and fully at Christ's return. God's word is ultimately, as chapter 4, verse 6 puts it, good news. God's word is the gospel of our salvation, the good news of forgiveness in Jesus, and the hope and glory and resurrection to come. God's word redresses our situation by giving us the hope of resurrection life in Christ. And yet, since we're using the language of, of undress and redress, we can take this a step further. See, the word of God, by showing us our sin, undresses us of all pretense to righteousness. It exposes the filthy rags of our sin and removes the pretense. But God doesn't leave us there. He sent Jesus, his perfect expression of himself, the exact image of his nature, the second person of the Trinity, to become a man. By his life, to weave together a robe of righteousness and glory. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as the righteous one and was crowned with glory and honor. But when we come to faith in Jesus, God's word says we actually put on Christ. We are clothed in him. This means both that when the father looks at us and sees us, he does not see our sin, but he sees the glory of his son. And that when we are raised up on the last day, we will be raised in resurrected and glorified bodies, having put on Christ fully in the resurrection. So at this point, everybody has two options. We can try to continue to hide our sin and walk in darkness, as John put it. Or we can come into the light of God and expose our sin to our Father. You know, one day God will bring every thought and misdeed to light. You cannot stay hidden forever. The question is, will we seek to hide today by avoiding the message of the gospel of God's Son at all costs? I want you to appreciate the irony here, though, because 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, When the Lord comes... He will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. You see, if we hide our sin in the dark, we will be exposed. But if we confess our sin and if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we will be covered and clothed in the glory of Jesus, never having to feel naked again. God's word is addressing you this morning. It undresses us 
exposing our hearts in rebellion. It assesses us, calling us to account, condemning our sin. But if we do not harden our hearts, but believe the good news of the gospel, God's word also redresses us and clothes us in the glory of Christ, both now and for eternity. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but trust in the work of Jesus, who has been raised up in glory and honor. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, and we thank you that you have not left us to guess at the work of the gospel, but that you have revealed it to us clearly in the message of the gospel and in your word, in the New Testament, in the, 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 the letters of the apostles, that we might know what Christ has done with clarity. And Father, we pray that you would help us to hear and not to harden our hearts, not to close ourselves off, but to hear and believe in what Jesus has done for us. Help us to believe it and rest in it to your glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.